0: Restaurant Unstoppable episode 471 with Chef Chris Wade. So if the ninety percent goes perfectly all the time and the planning's in, well then them last little variables, you know, it comes down to how many people you sit at once. You know, is all the produce there? All the chefs here? Or, or the music? The timing? The people? The toilets? The phone? You know, it's all the little one percenters that make a restaurant great. And that's the hard part to be consistent. You know, and training your team and driving them and having standards. And that's I think the most important thing is you have your standards and you stick to them.
1: There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a K line of credit is subject to credit approval see terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC what's sorcery sorcery is AP automation digital invoicing and time and money saved that's sorcery sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire accounts payable operation Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. All right, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Chris Wade. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today?
0: In the driver's seat, mate. Here we go, yeah. Unstoppable. It's all happening.
1: That is what we like to hear, and before we get started, I just want to say a quick thank you to my friends over at Tipsy for uh, flying me out here to Australia to make these interviews happen. Thank you, Tipsy. And graduate of Box Hill, Chef Chris Wade, a.k.a. the Steak Maestro, has spent many of his years cooking and learning alongside the greats in some of the best-known restaurants in the world. Today, Chef Wade serves as the executive chef and part owner of... Steak Ministry. What do we got here? A little water rolling up as we get inside. i love loving it. Don't want to get drawn, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Uh, where was I? Uh, steak Ministry in Melbourne, Australia. Chef, uh, obviously, we're just scraping the surface. You've accomplished so much. You've worked in, with such incredible people. I can't wait to learn what you've learned from these people and your career. But let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quotes or mantra. What do you have for us?
0: Well, you know, look, it's about being produce driven, I think, and using the best that we have access to. I'm privileged in in, in Melbourne here in Australia to have the access to the Australian, you know, produce that I do. So it it just feels spoiled every day to, you know, be able to work with that stuff and and to treat the produce, you know, the way way it's been given to us. So, you know, it's all about starting with the, the right ingredients and then bringing my creativity to the table
1: yeah just that's the best way to pay homage to it isn't it just to you know give it that respect bring it to the full the full potential yeah mm-hmm.
0: look some of my producers that I work with have spent years and years to get some of the high end wagyu to the restaurant so mm-hmm. you know with that process and that respect you know we have to show that respect to the product when it gets here mm-hmm. so and I think you know I can say you can give the same product to ten people, but it can come out nine different ways
1: so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. So let me ask you this: where did it all start? Take us to the point where you fell in love with culinary hospitality the the whole shebang
0: well i think it all started with my dad was the chef at home and you know i always used to come home from school and I used to invite people little kids back from the bus and cook you know pies and dim sims and little dinner parties after school and then help dad with the dinner at home and we never used to have the same thing twice he always used to try different things and always different you know so i used to help him cut the chips and crumb the schnitzels and and then when it came to high school and you know you had to choose your classes for Year eleven and twelve, and I didn't want to do mathematics or biology or any of them other silly, way too hard classes. So I decided to to choose cooking. You know, and I think there was only three boys in the cooking class, and one did it for the food, one did it because the class was full of girls, and I actually wanted to cook. So, (laughs) so yeah, it sort of started from there. And then you know, like the end of my year twelve, Crown Casino here in Melbourne um, launched. You know, it's one of Australia's largest entertainment complex, and put a big article in the in the paper here that they wanted to start an apprenticeship program and. Yeah, they wanted 16 apprentices and, you know, it was about 4,000 people applied and I ended up getting one of them 16 apprenticeships. What year so, is this? Um, I started, <coughs> I was classed in 1995, so this is the start of 1996.
1: Okay. So um, out of four thousand six or five people you said got- 16,
0: 16 s- apprenticeships. Okay. So, um, yeah, then, so, you know, we had a photo in the paper and all that before I even started cooking and then it was a good good start at Crown because they moved us around every three months. So we got, you know, bakery, pastry, fine dining, buffet, you know, got a real- kind of whole you know look at the hospitality industry from you know the mass catering to the functions to the fine dining to you know the back end of how a hotel runs. So
1: and at this point, are you like I'm all in? Like this is my life, this is my career, this is what I want to do. or Are you still trying to figure it out?
0: Well, look, I, I sort of one one reason I wanted to become a chef was travel. You know, and I realised that you know a chopping board is a chopping board is a carrot is a carrot no matter what country you're in they're all the same. So yep. then it's adapting to where you are and then the exciting. And look, I, I'm actually going to the airport tomorrow to pick up a young boy that's coming over from Mauritius to that I'm sponsoring to do the pastry here. Oh, awesome. And like you know he's he's only. 20 23, he's young he's yeah. never been out of his country where I've done that you know eight ten different times you know got my knives got to the airport yeah. not knowing what's on the other side but That's it's exciting It's it, coming out here <laughs> well it's character building yeah, I say absolutely for sure
1: uh, it's, it's beautiful though and I, I think more of us need to be doing this thinking about you know there's always like that everyone's saying there's not enough people in the industry there's not enough people in the industry but are are we willing to go out and really find and like you know and mentor and develop these people like everybody wants somebody who's already trained right but like nobody wants to put the work into bringing people up to that level where they are about
0: you. Uh, yeah, well, I think we live in a society now where Gen Y wants the instant gratification yeah, as well. And you know, yeah. in this industry, there isn't. You have to put in the hard yards and yep. graft, and you work with the right people. And you got to set. You know, I'm a true believer, and you got to have your kitchen principles and don't break them principles. And they're the things that I learned from my mentors when I was younger. Mm. And I sort of said, if you don't break them principles and you stick to them things, then all the other creativity and all the other then challenges come from that. Yeah. But
1: Do t- you? Yeah. Can you? Like think in your head the list of principles that you have.
0: Well, as you see, the principles like being in the kitchen and never we I never put a steak on the grill without oiling it first and putting on the plain salt and pepper. Yeah, and that will bring out the flavor and you know it will be seasoned properly and just them principles that you need to stick by and you know the way we cut things, the way we pack things away. And I say to kids in interviews, you know, do you park your car straight in the car park? You know, it's all the little things. If you scribble on your prep list, well then you're not going to be organised. Your things aren't going to be right, and I'm going to see that on the plate. So if I can see it, the guests will see it. Consistency won't happen and the flow doesn't continue mm-hmm. so I mean it's every step to your ironed uniform <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm already getting some like you know great little nuggets out of you uh, but I want to try to like stay chronological and I mean at what point I mean it sounds like when you were young when you were younger it was kind of just uh, the travel you love loved cooking uh, can you bring me to the point where you're like this is going to be the rest of my life
0: yeah I, I think it was a passion that I found like, at Crown when I did my first two years and then we moved around, moved around I got to see a lot but i didn't want to go to the staff kitchen i didn't want to go to the buffet it was all about obviously everyone wants to do the best and be the best yeah. and work with the best so you know i moved to a restaurant in carlton that was uh, awarded melbourne's best seafood restaurant 11 straight years in a row wow so i mean that was you know and then i worked for a chef called michael bekash and it was a lot about discipline then you know and his standards and this is the way it was and if you don't want to do it my way well then you're in the wrong kitchen and so yeah i learned a lot about standards and discipline from michael which i think was very very important and then going on to the restaurant Circa in St Kilda where, you know, I'm, I moved in, you know, and nominated for Australian restaurant of the year and Melbourne's best new restaurant the first 12 months they opened. So, I mean, there to be on the pulse doing the best food in Melbourne in the fourth of my apprenticeship, you know, I actually spoke to the executive chef and owner, Michael Lambie a couple of months ago and sort of said, you know, if I hadn't have done them standards and, you know, the way the prep lists were typed out and written is what I do in my kitchen now 20 years on. So, you do, you take a lot of, you. know as I say, soak it up like a sponge and it's sort of funny, you know, looking back at some of the things that the chef said to me when I was young, you kind of, yeah, chef, whatever, and shake your head and now I'm 20 years repeating the exact same sentences to my junior staff in the kitchen. So, yeah, it does come full circle and you don't think you're taking it in back then, but you really are, yeah. you really, really are.
1: I want to kind of do like a step by step uh looking at the 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 path you took to get to where you are today reflecting on those times the people that you were uh, that were mentoring you and like just really getting granular and taking us through those lessons that they taught you so bring go back to the first person you can think of that really had an impact on you and who you are today and take us through how they impacted you and how they uh, influenced you to become who you are. Well, if we talk about
0: that fourth year at Circa, you know, as a fourth year apprentice and you know, young and very, in, in, you know, in, be easy influenced, um, you know, but thinking, then we're the best restaurant in Australia. This is what I've got to learn. This is how it's meant to be done. And you know, Michael just come from being a sous chef with Marco Pierre White, three Michelin star in London. So. You know, this is kind of, it was every young Australian chef that, oh, you had to go to London, you had to go to London or be no one. So what we were learning there and, and, and the food and the standards it was so exciting, you know, using the best produce, you know, having surrounded by professional chefs who seem like they know everything. And, you know, you feed from that and you, you get up and you want to go to work and you want to cook and you want to prep and you want to be ready for service and you don't want to let anyone down. And, you know, we, uh, only, you know, that not wanting to let anyone down is, you know, looking up to the, the senior chefs in the kitchen and, and then push, 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 you know, because nobody hands it to you. You've got to get in there and you've got to drive real hard and real fast. And, you know, it's a it's a brutal business too, you know. I mean, when I showed up in London, Three Michelin Star with Gordon Ramsay, you know, there's a lot of chefs that have been in the kitchen there for for you know, over two years, and you come in as the new boy, and you get no respect. You got to earn that respect, yeah. and you know it's a it's a dog eat dog world.
1: So, did you ever get to the point where you're you're trying to earn this respect, and you maybe get a little down on yourself, like nobody's respecting me? Like, how how do you keep showing up, uh, you know, bottom man on a total pull, uh, with that that drive every day without getting discouraged, without kind of like. You know, wanting to throw in the towel. Like, where, where does that come I from? think you
0: got to ride the roller coaster of it and realize, yeah. you know, they're not all highs. You know, there are going to be lows, and, you know, especially when you're young and you're going out a lot as well in the hospitality industry, and, you yeah. know, some days you're hungover and tired, and, yeah. you know, you got to, got to push through it and realize this is what I want to do, this is the best place for me to be in. You know, as a lot of young chefs say, where should I work? Well, you know, applying the test be- best ten places. Yeah. You know, and get in there. One of them will accept you if you hassle them long enough, yeah. and then you will be in the right place, learning the right yes. things. And then don't stay in one spot too long. I think that was my my gig when I was younger. You know, I didn't stay anywhere more than twelve months, eighteen months. Mm-hmm. And it's learn, 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 soak it up, go through the seasons of the yep. menu. Yeah. And then you know, move, move. You know, I move countries, I move places. You why know?
1: twelve I'm, years or twelve months? Sorry, why twelve months? Why, why is that? The magic I, it,
0: it, especially here, we're very seasonal. You know, here in Melbourne. And, and yep. you know, and we go through the autumn, the winter, and the spring, and the summer. And, and obviously, some places it's just all hot or all cold, you yep. know. But like here, so then you know we're changing the menu every four months and seeing the different styles and the different you know standards and foods. And you know, you're very creative when you you know you, you do your one menu and then you feel like you're perfecting it, and then all of a sudden it changes completely, and you you sort of start afresh and start again. And yeah, and then like obviously you, you're building your repertoire. Yep. <clears throat> I remember <clears throat> my little. My little book of notes that I had in the kitchen with me—you know, you scribble things down, you scribble things down—and you know, I never thought, you know, I'd ever sort of refer back to that. And then, ten years down the track, you realise. Oh my god! Remember that dish I done, and then it's scribbled in your book, and you know, you end up yeah. now. the little things that I, I learned way back when. It's a, <laughs> a whole collective mix of the restaurants that I all worked at to make my menu that I have today.
1: Okay, I think the other part of that too, the, the twelve months minimum, uh, is your reputation. I mean, if you go someplace and they invest the time in, in you know, just to, to groom you, to, to educate you, to give you that knowledge, uh, you need to give them your time back in return. To you don't want to just be hopping around like four months here, five months there.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it's a total. It's a sort to say now that, you know, anyone can run a special, anyone can cook a dish, but can you do it under pressure, night after night, you know, under, you know, the pressure of the restaurant, mm-hmm. the standards, the other chefs with you, and then to excel every day, you know, when people are paying high prices in restaurants, they want the best, mm-hmm. they don't care if you're having a bad day, you're inexperienced, you know, you know you're starting to run out on your prep. They eat every table, every person, every day. And I've had that philosophy for a long, long time. So, you know, holding them standards. And, you know, look, we can do 100 covers. And, you know, there might be that two people that don't feel that You know, they've met the standards. But, you know, God, there's that 98 others that, you know, and you can't please everyone. I sort of say, you know, we could feed the same thing to 10 people. Six will tell you the greatest thing they've ever <laughs> yeah. eaten in their life. And four will tell you inedible. Yeah. So, you know. Well,
1: let's dive deeper into that. I feel like this is a serious thing because I feel like a lot of people beat themselves up. And they, they – they get one bad review or they they have one person that send something back and they take it personally. How do you overcome that? Well, uh,
0: look, it, being here in the last four four years at state ministry, you know, my business partner who's a hairdresser and is very, you know, personable you know, with <laughs> yeah, his clients just and that. Met him, awesome guy. Yeah, and 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 I think we live in a society now that you, know, you can go on the internet any day and write, you know, and unfortunately I think people go on and write about their bad experiences a lot more than the good experiences. Absolutely. So
1: that's a, Yeah, that's a fact too. Like like so, you, you never hear about the good experiences, right? That builds you up. So don't. I mean, people want to vent. They want to. They want to be heard when they're pissed off. Uh, so that's just natural human nature. Uh, so you know, like, just don't let that shit get to you.
0: But. Yeah, you know. Look, I know the restaurants I worked in. I know the food we do. The standard I hold. They have the dining rooms full seven days a week. You know, and you know, in the, in the honeymoon period at the start, you sort of you know do you question yourself? Are we doing the right thing? And then you have a slow night. I mean, some nights you leave here and you. Feel like a rock star every night. It's like, oh, what are we doing? What are we doing? But, yeah. you know, in that first 12 months of any restaurant, the first 12 months is always so hard because you've got to capture the clients at the start, get them back, be consistent. You know, and, and, and at high prices, you know, then you got to be really consistent because the expectation's so much higher.
1: Okay. I think there's some gold here. I want to go deeper. I want to pull back some layers. You said the first 12 months, you've got to capture the client. So what's your advice? How do you how do you capture the guests? How do you get them to come back?
0: Well, look, it's all in the planning, too, before you actually open the doors. You know, I mean, I sort of say the easy stuff starts when you open the doors because, you know, you do what you normally do every day. A lot of chefs sort of, you know, get into that period where, you know, you set up the restaurant and you design it and you plan it and, you know, and... Things I continue to to use the analogy: we do ninety percent of the restaurant every day perfectly. It's the last ten percent that's broken down into one percenters, and only takes one of them one percenters for you to have a bad experience. So if the ninety percent goes perfectly all the time and the planning's in, well then them last little variables, you know, comes down to how many people you sit at once. You know, is all the produce there? All the chefs here? Are The music, the timing, the people, the toilets, the phone, you know, it's all the little one percenters that make a restaurant great. And that's the hard part to be consistent, you know, and training your team and driving them and having standards. And that's, I think, the most important thing is you have your standards and you stick to them.
1: So what do you think, in in your opinion, what is the trick to consistency?
0: is setting the standards in the plan and the plan it's all about the plan you know i mean you, if you if you're not ready when the customers arrive then you're behind the eight ball you know all- for us in the kitchen it's all about the mise en place and it's all about being ready before they get here but again the concept of the restaurant the design the feel you know that sort of thing that you hear in restaurants wrong side of the street wrong side of the air well like it does it does happen to a lot of people in this industry and you know there's no guarantees in this as well and if you don't get them in the first three months and they're not telling their friends and they're not coming back and you know and then six months in, you got to sign out that you know the front lunch specials 50% off that screams volumes yeah and so many restaurants that's happened to I've, I've been down that truck I had a state restaurant in 2010 and we only lasted 12 months
1: yeah you know I, that's something I saw and I wanted to dive into that a little more but you said something earlier that I want to I don't want to just skim over you said that you know the secret uh, is in uh, setting the standards and creating the plan so how does setting the standards look like how do you like what's that process of creating the standard look like and how or how does that what's the process of communicating the the standard to your people? Like, is it just by doing it every day or do you like commit it to writing or are you just the example of that standard? Like, how do you convey that?
0: Yeah, no, know, My standard here is like set, you know. as in that standard recipes, the way the prep list is structured, the way, you know, everything sort of happens here now. And look, you know, with, with other business partners who have run different styles of restaurants and different business, that was a hard push for me to start to hold my standard. This is what I want to do, you know. And you do butt heads a lot, you know. We all want to get to the common goal at the end and be successful and run a great restaurant. But your vision, my vision, that vision, and you know, people people's visions in this industry you can be blinded you know passion does not pay the bills you know so I've had to change and grow up a lot in the last four years as a businessman as well as an executive chef what does pay the bills consistency you know i still i i i I continue to think i sound like a bit of a broken record now you know saying the same thing same thing same thing but it's huge yeah Mm -hmm. and from that consistency people come back and they know what to expect and they trust us to maybe spend that bit more money or have the you know the special wagyu next time or you know we've seen you know people coming on two come back on a four come back on a table of 12 Mm. you know so that's what you know huge success from return clientele and you can only get that you know, with the consistency and and the creativity, you know. I mean, obviously... I've had you know a couple of my uh, a regular come in the other night and say, you know, look, we can go and get regular 20 different restaurants, but we come here because of you and yeah. your feel and your style and your food and the way it all rolls out. So <laughs> yeah.
1: I know. typically try to stay chronological with these interviews, but you keep on dropping these bombs on us that I want to go deeper. <laughs> uh, you just said uh, it's about consistency and create creativity. We spent some time talking about how you stay consistent or the, 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 the importance of consistency and those standards and creating the plan. But uh, let's lay into creativity. How, I mean, do you have a process for creativity? No, not really. I think there just needs
0: to be a little bit of wow factor to it. I say what we I do here at the restaurant is glorified meat and three veg. You know? Side
1: note: speaking of wow factor, you should see you should uh, see chef's mic stand right now. Sorry, <laughs> as far as creativity goes, I uh, left one of my uh, mic clips in thailand uh and i was like chef do you mind holding the mic and he's like well i think i can figure something out we've got uh some hotel pans over here and uh, a napkin and a, and a, a, a plate uh <laughs> Look, if it went perfectly every day in every restaurant it'd be easy <laughs> I just take a picture of that and post it online it's, uh, it's, it's awesome so okay so uh we we're talking about creativity um and i got distracted uh so what, what's your what's your uh you're to creativity one more time. No, just I just
0: summarize. think this needs to be a little bit of wow factor the to wow it, factor you know, so and a little burst of flavor in different spots on the plate. And, you know, look, if everything's the same texture – You know, it's like a big bowl of baby food. So texture is a huge Mm -hmm. thing with food. And, you know, then when you decide, you know, design the menu, it's about can you get it all out in five minutes when you call the table away? You know, how is everything designed? How is everything prepped? And then height and texture and colors and plates and seasons. And there's so many factors to it. And I think after a lot of experience, you kind of worked out what factors are important to you, to your food, to your menu.
1: And then that's the factors
0: and the principles that I run on. How do you
1: know you have something that's a wow factor? Like when when do you know you've reached that? Like is there a gut feeling you get, or like are you constantly trying to push it just a little bit further to be a little bit outside the box so it gets noticed? Uh,
0: yeah. Look, I like to be outside the box, but not you know left field as well. Mm-hmm. I think you know I spent a long time cooking for myself, cooking you know to get awards, cooking to impress people, and you know I realize you got to you got to cook for the guest, cook mm-hmm. for what they want, you know, and then from them popular things, and then other things you can then my creativity to, like I said, if, if I'm doing glorified meat and three veg and we do high-end wagyu chips and salad, well, we do the best that we can with the best produce that I can find. And, you know, it's all about anybody can put salt. Mm-hmm. We make flavoured salts. We make flavoured oils. It's the dressings. It's the sauces. It's the a carrot a carrot. But, you know, you can do 12 different, you know, variations on that as well. And the different... It, heirloom vegetables and other produce and other you know micro herbs and flowers and other different flavors and textures especially now with the australian native ingredients that we're starting to use and the freeze-dry products and yeah just the flavors are just so bold and that's what's really important that you know, you go out for dinner and spend the money to have something different. Yeah. Try something yeah. different. Like live a little. Yeah. Oh, live exquisite. You, you, you want know, that's
1: strange. That's that's where the experience comes from. So yeah.
0: Mean, so. Oh, but look, there's creatures a habit yeah. with food. You know, yeah. people always eat the same thing. Some people always try new things. So, I, I spent a long time trying. I oh, try the new one. Try the new one. Try the. new Some people will not do that. <laughs> yeah. So you can't fight that like. either. Yeah. You know, you're kind of going to. So, Sorry, keep going. You gonna you're just got to give them what they want in some way, and then other things on the menu you kind of throw it in there, and then you see how yeah. how creativity yeah, how how people be creative with their own eating. Yep. Yeah.
1: So you just said it again, and I was gonna, about to ask, uh, and you said you have to give the guests what they want. So how do you know what the guest wants?
0: Well, in the four years I've been here at State Ministry, at one point <laughs> at one point we had twenty three different state cuts listed wow. on the menu, and we had the flanks and the skirts and the hangers in it. I mean, that's 2% of the population, I think, want to eat that. Yeah. You still look now at the staples of the eye fillet, the scotch fillet, the porterhouse, the ribeye, the T-bone, and that's it. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously we have other steaks and other specials, and now we have, you know, a $500... You know, six hundred and fifty-day ration-fed ribeye and our tomahawks and other bigger cuts that we have on the super steak board.
1: And those are wow factors. I mean, that's like you—you you, you need that option on the menu. You have your standards, your your go-to's, but for that person that's willing to drop five hundred dollars, like you don't want to uh, lose that opportunity.
0: Because somebody it, asked me, why do you have a five hundred dollar ribeye on the menu? Because I've got the clients to buy yeah, it. And the minute I don't have something on the board, yeah. everyone's like, "Where's the good stuff?" Oh, yeah, that's a oh, good God. point.
1: Like you make you your, gotta keep them happy. Yeah, make your menu affordable for the average person, but also at the same time, you if you got that that high roller that rolls through that's willing to drop five hundred dollars, then why not? Why not? Make our that stakes run? range
0: from thirty eight to five hundred. You know, we have a two hundred ninety five dollar T bone, and you know some of the tomahawks are you know the largest tomahawk which serves two point eight kilos. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ranges, you know, but then we have, you know, one person on one side of the dining room saying, oh, the $10 slide is too busy, uh, sorry, too expensive. And another one on the other side of the dining room having a $500 ribeye. So. I think a
1: part of that too is people just don't know the value of food. Uh, and we've gotten so far away from what real food is that we uh, our, our expectations, uh, the general public standard of what a burger should cost has been really warped. And I think it's great that people are fighting, uh, you know, the standard of what the standard used to be and they're not willing to sacrifice real food uh, to yeah to, real uh, food costs food. Yeah. more exactly. you know it does yeah. and
0: then obviously to have skilled chefs you know you know but if you're going to come and get the good produce and have the skilled chefs do it and be in a great dining room and environment well then it's got to be special yeah. you don't just come like, I don't just come to work to cook people dinner mm-hmm. it's about dining memories it's about experiences it's about you know obviously with your friends or with your partner or you know we have a lot of ones in here you know I mean if you're a corporate guy you coming to town we've got a big hotel we've got a relationship with across yeah. the road you come you want to have a good dinner and a good steak well yeah it's yeah. about the whole experience so. absolutely
1: uh, so just to kind of summarize uh, you've got to get a customer what they want and uh, it sounds like what you were doing you, you just pay attention to what they're buying and you look for those patterns you look for those trends and you lean into what they want and you kind of help it you know, why Why make it more complex than it needs to be? Uh, get rid of all the extras and just give them what they want and then offer that one wow factor thing for that person that is willing to go there and try that. that, that yeah, that well, version. the wow
0: factor sometimes can come down to techniques. You know, yeah. I mean, on one of the oysters at the moment, you know, we've got a sangria, a spuma. You know, like the sangria, it's fresh, it's fruity, it's the red wine, it's, you know, it's got everything going on about it. It's a very popular drink. So to make it into a little foam that sits on top of the oyster, it's got a real yeah. wow factor and flavor, flavor, you know, punch about it. Cool. Awesome. So you yeah, it's just the little things, just the little. So things. I think
1: the last place, as far as you're going back to the chronological approach to, to today's conversation, uh, we were talking at the, you were at the Crown. Um, any big influencers here? Let me pull up your uh, your LinkedIn profile real quick. So you you graduate from the Crown, or you, you move on from the Crown. Uh, I was approximately 98. This is where you're doing your internship.
0: Yeah, my apprenticeship. So my fourth year was at my third year was at Toofy's. My fourth year was at Circa, and then I moved away to Brisbane for a year. Um, What year is that? Two thousand. All of two thousand. I moved away to Brisbane. Um, I went and worked at a restaurant uh, up on the up on the Brisbane River called Brett's Wharf. Okay. So a seafood restaurant up there with a chef called Alistair McLeod, and that was kind of a little bit my of my breakout because obviously when you're an apprentice you can use you know oh, I'm yeah. an apprentice so I don't yeah. mean to know anything and then you're a qualified chef and oh, I've come from one of the best restaurants in Australia and you yeah. know I want to be someone and you know that sort of thing so that's where you, when you step out and you, you're not under that sort of grey cloud of you know I'm an apprentice and you so, you got to find you. You got to find your own feet. You really do.
1: So I think mean, the only way you can find your own feet is getting out there and trying different things and, and finding what resonates with you. Finding what you're what you're good at. I guess is the the other part of that. Uh, so ninety when you. Um, finish your apprenticeship You're in what, what's going on from 98 to 2007 you just any, any key points in there that are worth shining light on or do well
0: you? look I moved to after my year in Brisbane I moved to London for a year okay. so you know as I said before it was you know, in Melbourne here in Australia it was in, that was where the three Michelin star chefs yeah. were that was where yeah. you had to go and a lot of big chefs from London come out and do you know some things out here so I moved to London and I worked for Marco Pierre White for the first seven months I was there my executive chef was Curtis Stone so I, what'd you
1: learn working at a, a restaurant with such a reputation of of, uh, excellence, like what, what was going on in that restaurant that was new to you, that wasn't going on in the other restaurants?
0: No, well actually, it opened up my eyes to what we were doing in Melbourne because we had you know Mokalembe come from Marcos and okay. w- then come out and you know to to do the best of the best we could do at Circa, and then going over to London, I realized, oh my God, what we're doing in Melbourne is better than what they got here, so that's why I was like, no, I want more, or more right. You know, I went and got a a trial and I went to Gordon Ramsay's and, you know, to see Three Michelin Star and what it was all about and the hours and the the people and how it all rolls out. And, yeah, it's a dog-eat-dog world, that old, uh, you know, 110 hours a week. We were were closed Saturday, Sunday, Monday to Friday. But, look, I started there in July and Gordon had just won the Three Michelin Stars in January. So he was still there in the kitchen every day driving. What year is this? Two thousand and two.
1: Okay, any lessons uh, on how to be, how to treat others, how to run a kitchen from that experience that you can drop on us?
0: No, some of the worst things I ever saw in the kitchen <laughs> oh, were there. Really? Like that's okay. all. That's Anything
1: a, no. uh, without getting like too uh, disrespectful? You want to drop on us on how not to be?
0: Um, you know, look. Obviously, it's a real hierarchy system in the kitchen, and you know, like when you're young and you know, a kitchen of that standard, young kids have just got to do their job you know do their job and follow, follow the lead and you know it's the responsibility of the executive chefs and the head chefs and the chefs de cuisines to make sure that every day that consistency and that standard is met and when you know you looked at it was the only 3 Michelin star restaurant in London when I was there so you know to be the best of the best of the best and the standard there is no second best there is no maybe there is no it's either a hundred percent or you wear it in the face and a couple of the guys did which wasn't nice what
1: do you mean by wearing in the face
0: i oh, had a bad night where this one one kid who ended up getting a hot ravioli in the eye right in the middle of the service and yeah it was one of the worst things i've ever seen and oh, he left the kitchen crying and never come back so well, i was all right i got promoted then the next day because he never come back so
1: but well, what did you learn from that experience on how you how you don't want to be yeah, I just don't
0: think anyone should be, you know. Obviously, look, I, I, I drive the kitchen pretty hard here and you know, I've been hard on the boys and just deliver that standard night after night as in it's my name and my reputation and my food that goes out there every night and you put your head out on the chopping block, you know. Every night, every table, you're out there for criticism and you know, to hold that standard and make sure that, you know, you can deliver, well, then the boys have got to be in your, cor- in your corner. So, you know, look, I learned, you know, some of the, the crazy things that I'd seen all over the world and look, it was a lot different back in the UK and Europe 15 years ago yeah. you know i mean it's yeah. a little bit more hr department bit, yeah, politically yeah. correct these days yeah so yeah so look I've, i i kind of i've seen that and i i know what the worst of the worst can look yeah. like and <laughs> the best of the best can look like but look this nobody comes and gives you a golden ticket in this industry you gotta go out and you know, get, get it right, yourself yeah. and work hard and,
1: absolutely so uh, so 2007 uh is that your first executive chef role
0: no look i, I, I Oh, let, let's let's go. Sort of after London, I ended up on a ship called the World of Residency. Okay. Um, I did, uh, and the World of Residency was 110 private apartments on a ship. It's first time ever of its kind. So, it was a six-star floating resort. We were the first, uh, I was uh, chef to party in a French fine dining restaurant on board. We were trying to get the first Michelin star at sea. So, look, it was a real good experience to be in a situation like that, which was, you know, totally different than any cruise ship or anything that was at sea at the time, and yeah, we were really trying to push the boundaries food-wise, so it was a really good experience for that. And then um, after that, I ended up in the Cayman Islands um, at the Western Hotel on Seven Mile Beach. So that was a, a 10 months of, yeah. you know, just living. So li- you're kind
1: of living the dream, seeing what you want to do. You un- initially got into this industry because you want to travel. You want to get out there. You want to uh, live through food, right? Yeah, uh, and you,
0: you've got to make the most of your opportunities. There's yeah. lot out there. You can go anywhere in this mm-hmm. world or, you know, and – or you could just you know there's a lot of people that you know a lot of young chefs that stay Mm -hmm. in the same spot for four or five years Mm -hmm. because they get paid well and it's easy and they know the food but then you're not going to you're still going to be there with the same skills in five, ten years time Mm -hmm. so it's about you know all my mates when I grew up in high school you know oh you're going to work you're going to work you're going to work or yeah like now some of them are unemployed or in jail you know where you know i i don't regret you know yeah. you know partying when i was younger you know getting out there and getting into the industry and, you know trying my hardest as a yeah. junior young chef to always improve always get better and for a long time you know i went up in hours and down in pay up in hours and down in pay you know just to work for the best and be the best and try to you know if they're the most highly rated and they're the best chefs well they've got to have the standards they've got to be doing the job properly mm-hmm. is how i looked at it so i levitated to them and You know, I worked as hard as I could and tried to hold on for as long as I can. And then, you know, you move on to the next place and the next place. Okay. So uh,
1: all great stuff. I think we try to move it forward uh, so we can make time to talk about uh, what you got going on uh, with the restaurant that you had that that didn't make it. I'm curious to see, knowing what you know now, what you would have done different there. But before we get to that point, uh, 2007 to 2012 – I'm sorry, until 2010, anything that happened, uh, any big lessons, any big takeaways, any – Uh, I guess evolutionary points in your career that you want to cover in that time
0: yeah look uh, after uh, I spent a year in Canada I spent a year in Whistler I'm executive sous chef at Araxi in Whistler And a really, really good experience. But, you know, we didn't want to start a new ski season. So we ended up down in Florida and I worked for an American billionaire on his luxury uh, mega yacht as a private chef. Okay. And that was the real time, the real first experience where, okay, I've got to do menus. I'm not in a restaurant. It's my food, my standard. I've got no one else to follow. And you've got to make it all up. And, you know, I had like these three or four little recipe books from all the restaurants that I worked and all the scribble that I had. And then you finally realize... Okay, I've got to put entrees, desserts, mains, everything together, and this yeah. is my food, my gig, and that was the first time I actually really sort of had to step out and say, okay, I'm going to create my own style yeah, who here. Am so. I? Yeah. yeah, who am I? And what am I cooking? And look, when you're young and you're impulsive and you try to put 12, 15 different things on the plate and all you're trying to do is impress people, yeah. you know, actually you're a little bit unfocused, I think. And I went to a, a master class with Tatsuya and one thing he said was, the older you get, the less you put on the plate because the more confident you are in what you do. Mm. And I'm a huge believer in that now because I realize that the produce I get, the style I have, the techniques I do, my flavors, my combinations, they work. So... Yeah, just be confident in what you do. Yeah, yeah. you
1: are, and knowing yourself, and doing it, doing it to the you know. I, I, I truly believe in doing like few things really well and knowing what you do the best and who you're like and it's leaning into the those uh that niche and being known for that one thing you can go much further being really good at a few things and being all right at a bunch of stuff
0: yeah but then when you're a young chef you've got to learn a lot yeah, well, that's you, how you, know you know? find it like, yeah you, know, you, you, know, you got to get
1: there and experience and you find. you got to lane. master
0: the seafood you got to yeah. master the meat you know and work out you know how to make sauces properly but then as i said before about the principles if you can't make stock you can't make sauce mm. You know, if you're using the worst produce, you're starting from behind the eight ball. You mm-hmm. know, and that's the kind of that, that's them principles that you need to stick to. Chef,
1: I'm loving this conversation. So I want to get to the point where you're opening your first restaurant. But is there anything that we're we're not getting on the table? That you want to leave out before we. Uh
0: no, nah, there's a few other countries and world journeys, but we'd we'll be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that's what will happen. So let's just
1: move on to uh, your first opportunity to to be an owner. Uh, what what's going on there? Take us through that process. This is the, when you were uh, the executive chef and owner of a uh, Flair Contemporary Grill. What's going yeah,
0: on? Yeah, well, you know, look, I was probably, you know, I, I would say now looking back on it, a little bit young, dumb, and immature, and you know, party probably a little bit too hard, and probably was a, thought I was there, but wasn't there. Okay. You know, it's it, it, it this brutal industry that you know, if you're not doing the right job and you're not you know, focused on you know the right things, and things aren't going to come out. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. And you know, look, I was nominated for one of one of three restaurants in Melbourne in 2010 for Melbourne's best new restaurant there in St Kilda. But look, if the dining room's empty and. You know, it's not about winning awards. It's about, you know, running a business. Mm. And I think that's a huge thing that, you know, a, a lot of people, well, they want the awards and, you know, they, they want the glamour and all that of it. But at the end of the day, it's about running a business and putting money in the till every single day of the week.
1: Yeah. So you, you said you were there, but you weren't there. What, what does that look like? How, how weren't you there?
0: Oh, professionally, I think, you know, I was still, you know, very young chef and trying to him cook for everyone, party too much and just thought, you know, I was... Probably a little bit better than I that I actually was looking back Is on it maybe now. Maybe
1: your ego got a little bit. You say it was an issue. Yeah, we're well, all going to grow up at some point, yeah. you know what I mean? It like, was eight years ago, so yeah, yeah. And,
0: oh, oh look, you know, just even now in the last four years, you know, you know how how much I've grown as a businessman and changed, and um, you do, you do at some point, you know, you, you realize where you're at and how old you are, and, you know, young kids and you know the, the young kids that I'm mentoring the kitchen to obviously look up look up to you and
1: We're gonna get there, but well, I want to stay back uh, and and this experience is there anything that you can give us specifically uh like uh one thing you did or one move you made or like uh anything that's very specific that you can share with us from that experience so that you would have done differently if you could you said you know you're, you're more professional you probably party too much but like what about like granular like a specific thing
0: well i think it's now that i'm not cooking for myself you know, and I write the menu and, oh, is this going to get me a star? Is that going to get me this? What's gonna Not like, you know, is it right? Does it match? And it's not all about trying to wow factor the hell out of everyone every night. Mm. You know, some people don't want that. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want an education. They want to go and have dinner. Mm. So, you know, how you look at it and how the guests look at it, you know, can, you've got to be sort of on the same path where I don't think I was back then. Where now, you know, I'm usually… We've worked at the philosophy here at State Ministry, what sells what done sell, happy guests, happy life, you know, and then the dining room's full every night. So okay.
1: cool. So uh when did you know it was time to I guess give up with that restaurant? Like what was like the the nail in the coffin, like was, is that your point? Yeah, yeah. there was certainly a nail in the copper one day.
0: And then look, I, I my my ex partner, French Canadian girl, I, you know, we had a, a bad experience. She had to go back to Canada, and I was sponsoring her to be here. And her visa got cancelled. Then I ended up, you know, over there in Canada with them, where, where my daughter is still now. Okay. So yeah, okay. there's a, a few personal issues on that okay. side of thing, okay. but yeah.
1: Is that a, is that a lesson? Maybe the the personal life with business. I mean, some people I've noticed can really do the, the husband wife or girlfriend boyfriend business thing and, and crush it so what would you say to that is that a good thing or a bad oh thing?
0: look you need this, you know you need a serious support network to be able to do this you yeah. know i think you know being so creative and passionate about our jobs as, as chefs and running a restaurant you know i love to see happy guests and smiles but as yeah. soon as you get a complaint you're like oh you know what's going on why you know yeah. and, and it cuts you in half and mm. you know and sometimes you need to go home and have your partner to you know to chat with and cry mm. about and you know the highs and the lows and you know, sometimes they don't want to be there in the lows, but you know, they'll want to be there in the highs. So, you know, yes. it's it's not about that, you know. And I think, you know, riding the roller coaster when the highs and the lows are so far apart, it is about not too many of them and then it's about, you know, the even
1: keel. Okay. So I just want to say thank you because we're getting personal and uh, yeah. this is where the good stuff is. I mean, and that's what the podcast is all about. It's to really pull back those layers and to get at the core of it all. So I appreciate you being open and honest with us. Uh, okay. So let's bring it to more present time. We're, we're rolling to 2014. Uh, I'm sorry, 2012, right? Or are the, you're still doing the private chef thing, luxury yachts. So yep. that's, um, it says present in your, your, uh, your LinkedIn profile. Is that, Still, yeah. Well, after I went back to Canada, I went
0: back to the luxury yachts in 2010 and 11. Okay. Um And I worked on a luxury yacht called Lady Sheila, actually, for an American billionaire. And we were in the Bahamas um, at Atlantis in the Bahamas yeah. for two and a half months, docked in the number one spot. And uh, the owners, I don't o- know
1: why you would have left.
0: That <laughs> and, the, and the owners only come for five days in oh, the two man. and a half months. So Jeez. yeah, I was. A, we'll have to. Put an R, put the R-rated sign up if we want to talk about that two and a half months in the Bahamas. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, you know, that's where, you know, obviously. I'm
1: willing to go there if you're willing yeah. to
0: go <laughs> Well, look, you do a lot of cooking for the crew, yeah. you know what I mean, which is breakfast, lunch, and dinner, cooking for the crew, cooking for the crew, cooking for the crew in the kitchen by yourself. Yeah, and then you live in the toilet. Like, you know, I'm in mean, the luxury yachts, you know, worth, you know. Yeah. You know, $200 million, but your uh, cabin, you know, the roof is still 40 centimeters above your head. <laughs> you know, so, look, it's a different life. And, you know, it, I've sort of, you know, I've been really fortunate. I think I, people say you've been lucky. I say, no, it's been blood, sweat, and tears and yeah. been fortunate. Uh, it's luck doesn't happen. It, it, totally. The um, harder you work, the luckier you get. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm still pushing through that one. Uh, so, you know, be able to do, you know, the snow, the beach, the the yachts, the... Everything I kind of feel, you know, I've done yeah. it in you know, 55 countries worldwide, worldwide in at the yeah. moment. And, you know, some days you feel like, oh, you know, things aren't going great. And then I look back and then I look like I've got some mates that have never left Melbourne. Yeah. I mean, 55 countries worldwide as a chef yeah. now. And, you know, this you know, building the state maestro brand and going on a world tour um, yeah. in six days' time for the Australian government with my Taste of Australia program. Yeah. Should be awesome.
1: I mean, I think that's a lesson right there is just the uh, importance to every Once in a while, take a step back when you feel like you haven't done much or you feel like you're not where you want to be. Uh, I mean, I feel like that recently, like uh, being out here, like, uh, I, I was telling you earlier, like, I might have all these plans to record like, at least 10 ep- Like, I'm not, if I'm going out to Australia, I'm gonna get at least 10 episodes recorded while I'm out there. And then I didn't realize, like, the second day I was here that it's Easter weekend, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, I was like I'm not gonna get 10 <laughs> interviews during Easter weekend. Uh, and I was like, kind of like, bummed out, I was like, oh man, like. Uh, and I was, like, hard on myself and stressed out. And then I was like, wait a second. Take a friggin' step back, Mr. Yeah. Cacciatore. Yeah. Like, you're standing in Australia on the other side of the world that, uh, you know, people who are, admire you um, admire you, and I flew you out here. Like, bravo, man. Like, good for you. Like, good on you. Like, enjoy it. Network. Meet some people. Maybe you won't get the interviews. But, like, look what's happening in your life. Right oh, now. look, I, I, think, it. I think
0: it's really important, I think, stare in the mirror and pat yourself on the back yeah, sometimes. You, you because, can. like, you know, I mean – you got to get yourself out of bed, yeah. put yourself yeah. to bed every day. What you're doing between them hours is totally up to you, you know? Yeah. And you, know, you got to, some days when you don't think it's happening are the hardest ones, yeah. you know? Because, like, you can push, push, push. Ah, oh, it's wasting my time here. Yeah. But you're not, you know? Every single day is an, an, an extra step on the yeah. journey.
1: I think the word is gratitude, right? Just, you got to be grateful for what you do have and what you have accomplished and not necessarily look at what you don't have and what you, you're not able to do right now, you know? Just because it's not happening today it doesn't mean it won't happen tomorrow. It's yeah, been- oh,
0: look, I continue to say for a long time, I'm very privileged to have access to what I do and where we're at. And, you know, you look at some people around the world, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, so you yeah, just keep smiling. So let's get into uh, 2014. Uh, how did this opportunity come across you? Like, how, how, how did the state ministry come to be? Talk, take us through, like, the early days. Well,
0: look, I got back from overseas and, you know, I sort of really wanted to find somewhere that was, you know, my own you know new something new part ownership something you know i could really if i'm going to come back to melbourne because we're i was actually in finland in helsinki because my partner's finished um and we were over there staying with their parents and look three months over there you know in the middle of winter it's like all right if i'm going to go back to melbourne i want to make you know make it big and i sort of thought no it's got to be in the city if it's going to be in the, it has to be in the cbd and then i got a call you know come out to Glen waverley you know then these guys sort of you know headhunted and you know got me out here and i said had a chat and it was really my business partner craig his vision of this new york style steakhouse what the area needed you know we have a very high-end chinese asian clientele here so the high-end wagyu and our super state board works really well at the mm-hmm. restaurant you know with how they're focused on their vision of beef as well because beef's a very opinionated uh uh commodity
1: so Um, let's let's talk about Craig a little bit real quick before we move on so getting all the experience you've got to this point knowing what you know about business what to do what not to do what was it about Craig that made you uh, think that this was a good opportunity
0: Well, I mean, look, Craig's a hairdresser, and Craig's been in the strip for thirty years. And then um, my other partner, uh, Gerard, they own him and Craig own three other restaurants, and and they sort of know the area. They know what was needed, and then sort of Craig put the vision to me, and I said, "No, no, I can do this. I can really do this," you know. So,
1: so Craig, uh, a hairdresser, you said he's been in the strip, meaning this this community, like he knows this community for thirty years. He's been in this community opening restaurants uh, he's a hairdresser now that, that's his trade but he also has opened other restaurants in the past
0: yeah well, he's been a restaurant tour now for 15 years so yeah. yeah and like he dines out three four times a week in all the best restaurants so he's really on the pulse of what's happening what's on mm-hmm. scene you know what's, which is really important I think mm-hmm. you know in this day and age with social media mm-hmm. and out there you can get lost in translation you know and if you're trying to push the boundaries and you know the prices that you know that you know we have situated places on the menu then the expectations are high so mm-hmm. yeah. You, you kind of got to be different, but you got to be good. You, you got to be everything, really. You know, you know, some days you you know you you, you just you try to get to that you know rise to, rise to that occasion. You know, not every single thing is going to go perfect. So I think you've got to take you know some of the pitfalls with all of the glory that comes with it.
1: Yeah. What about who Craig was? What was it about who he was? Aside from the experience he had and the uh, the the knowledge he had about the the region that you know. Wh- what was your gut telling you about the, the, the kind of character he had?
0: I think it's being on the pulse, you know, and how modern he is. And, you know, look, he's 50 and looks 30. You
1: know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,. Yeah, but I think we have the same vision of, you know, I'm super creative with my food, what I do, and, you know, we have the smoke and the dry ice and the $500 steaks and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And that's what we're about, you know. I mean, you want to stand out from the crowd, you know. You yeah. don't want to be egotistical and, you know, stand up there and, and say we're the best of the best, yeah. you know. We, we you, know, you know, everyone wants to, you know, have their, you know, little. Time in, the, in in the light, and what about skills? What skills did he bring to the table that you maybe? Oh, lacking? he's a fantastic businessman. Okay. You know, I mean, everything he everything he's done, he's turned to gold.
1: So, where is he strong? and Where you're weak?
0: Um, I'm very impulsive, and I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a lot younger, and yeah. I want it to happen tomorrow. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's been a good business mentor okay. with me with that side of things, you know. And there's you know, obviously, yeah, we've butted heads, you know, especially yeah. with my other business partner. And like I said, we, we've all got the common goal of where we want to get to. But sometimes the vision of how us three thought that we would all get there... But you know, now, you know, we've got a successful business, we're four years in and yeah. you know, we're we're looking at what's next and where we're at and all these other things that are happening. That's, so yeah.
1: So as you're getting open, uh what were the biggest challenges that, that present you in making this happen that you can refer any like like speed bumps or blocks along the way? Yeah,
0: well the thing is when you start a menu and it's like some things don't sell, other things do. And yeah, you know, kind of like you with the diverse clientele that you know we have here in Melbourne as well. Um we we have you know high chairs and corporates and, and, and anniversaries and and then other people having a five course degustation, other people in and out you know as fast as possible. You know, being in the suburbs too has its challenges. Where if you get dressed up in your suit and tie and you go into the city and you know where you're going to go, you have that expectation. We're, we're open seven nights a week in the suburbs, and some people come and you know come and dine twice a week. What you about know, like. the
1: location of this place? The first thing I noticed, uh, I took the train in. And I'm like, all right, I gotta walk and try to find this place, and like you <laughs> literally r- get off right the train, <laughs> and you like walk into it, like Ew. it hits you in the forehead uh did that appeal to you at all the location
0: totally Uh, we're sort of looking around for second site at the moment craig said there has to be a corner site like this i mean you need the exposure and that wrong side of the street this and that yeah you can do the greatest thing and 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 look at the top one out of the top 10 restaurants in the world six are in you know obscure locations out on farms growing their own food and you know that's something that never used to happen but you know people will go for the right thing for the right feel and that first, I continue, the first six months is so important to get them in, impress them, be consistent with what you do. Because if somebody says to their friends, go down there, it's a great place. They go in and it's terrible.
1: Yeah. You got to get it right early. So like, what, what were you doing in the early days and before you opened, before you had the chance to develop that consistency? What things were you doing to be proactive early on to make sure that you're hitting it you know, out of the park from day one?
0: Supplies. My job is to find the right supplies, and I can buy the same. I can buy some of the meat off twenty different butchers. Yeah. So it's about the consistency. It's about every single day the boxes that show up at the back of the kitchen, the produce that I know my supplies have got my back. Where it comes from, you know, I'm very produce-driven. To you know, trace it back to the farm, and you know, that's from the seafood to the veg to the meat. You know, it's not just about the high-end Wagyu here. Mm-hmm. It's about everything, you know, and. When the seasonal produce comes in, that's when you should use it because that's when it tastes the best. Yeah. So when there's there's small little factors to why it should happen, and if you follow them principles, them certain times of the year, things things are great for you to serve. So why not maximize that?
1: So small little factors as to why? What, what do you mean by that? Sorry. So you said there's small little factors to why things happen, right? Is what I heard. Um, can I, you?
0: Yeah. I, I, um,
1: um, I can look at it from both sides and I
0: say about the produce you know certain times of the year with us going through the four seasons that the beef will be better or the veggies okay. you know and that sort of thing there 's certain times of the year things will so and, talking, then, okay. and then now you know in in a city like Melbourne where it there 's always seven days a week three hundred and sixty five days a year things happening, things going yep. on, and you know so to with all things going on in Melbourne all the time you 've got to separate yourself from the crowd, use the things at the right time of the year times of the restaurant you know okay there's so many little factors little okay. factors that that make up a restaurant every single
1: day so we talked a lot earlier about just the the importance of consistency the importance of uh getting that that guest early and retaining them and doing it uh, right from the get-go making sure that you get them early because that those first months are crucial what are the other uh I guess Big things that you think you did right in year two, or like after year one into year two, into year three. How have you? What are the key things you've done to evolve this business uh, to stay fresh and to stay relevant?
0: Well, at the start, you kind of you put on your menu and then you work out what sells and what doesn't sell. You know, and I think being a steakhouse, you got to be again produce-driven, so you get the right the right stuff. But at the start with all restaurants, you probably got to underprice yourself. You've got to be that little bit, you know, run the food cost and the wage cost a little bit higher and, you know, get them in, get them in. You've got to spoil spoil them in the first six months, Yeah, you know, and give away a little lamb rib or a little amuse bush or something to, you know, to the VIP guests or, you know, I say, you know, that analogy, everyone's a VIP, you know, just some others are more because you know them and they become more regulars. But, you know, if you treat, if I treat the standard where everyone's a VIP and at the start, if you underprice yourself a bit, you know, and then you're slowly like... It all starts to evolve and come, and we change the menu every uh, every four months in the first two years. Where now we're probably every every five months we do the three seasons. We probably lose autumn a little bit and do a winter, a spring, and a summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so working out, you know, what the clients want, your area, if, you've, if you if it is the right side of the street or not, you got to work out who you're yeah. on the right side. And you know, and I think our big range, as I said, from thirty 38- eight. You know, to $500, the steaks, we really do cater for, you know, all, all types of clientele. And then, you know, you can come in shorts or you can come in a suit. You know, you're going to have that casual yeah. feel. And I think that's the way the industry's going that, you know, the the real formal fine dining has really been lost where, you know, people want, you know, th- to know where it comes from and, you know, the, the different flavors and the different combinations of the chefs. And some people just want to go out and eat plain food. You know? mm. Other people are really creative yeah. with their food. So, With a large menu and trying to cater for everyone, you do need some staples. And then if you've got them, the the staples that sell really well, you can throw creative things on specials and other stuff. And then specials are a great way to be able to sell things, to try to test the waters Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, but there's always, in, in, in this day and age, now 2018, there's always new stuff coming out, you know, with new techniques or new equipment to mm-hmm. use in the kitchen. And, you know, we're on this freeze-dried fruit and freeze-dried products and the liquid caviars that I've got, you know, for my new you know product product line. So there's always new modern stuff that's out there. And look, if you don't, there's obviously chefs that are still cooking stuff that they cooked 20 years ago yeah. and have never changed. So yeah. is it right for you? Is it right for me? It's it's right forever works for you. you know. If you're happy and you've got a successful restaurant, if you're happy to go to the work every day and cook the same thing, oh, that, that, oh I'd tear my hair. It'd be yeah. so boring. There's, like,
1: yeah, there's one more question I have for you before I kind of pass it back to you to kind of take it wherever you want to take it. If there, isn't, uh, if there has been something you've been wanting to talk about, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. But before we get there, um, you mentioned uh, in, in the beginning you've got to give a little away. Uh, to spoil your guest uh so they they come back and i agree with you that uh you know if you can get somebody to come back three times they say that they're 70% more likely to be a long-term repeat customer that after that third time so you know you uh, you know i think uh, it's um uh who the, i can't think of his name but he he did an episode with Gary Vaynerchuk who's the marketer in the states of his podcast ask Gary V and uh he was saying you know you know the first time somebody comes in you you write on the like a business card, like chicken in like with the signature. So you come in and they get a free chicken. The third time, when they when you get that card that says chicken on it, that's your cue that you know that this is their second time in. And then uh, when they leave, before they leave, you give them another one that says steak. Like next time you come, in, you get to try the steak, and uh, that's that's the cue. So now that the the server and the the host that they know that, oh, this is the, the third time they're in. And then, you know, but if you can get them to come back three times, right, that's a, a, a secret. Why can't I think of this guy's name? He's a celebrity, a bar rescue. John Taffer, Jesus, um, he was saying that. But how do you know where to draw the line where you're not giving away too much? I kind of probably built that up too much, but you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you not give away so much that, like, you're, you're, you're hemorrhaging too much money? Like, how do you balance
0: Well, that? look, if you order really well, you get spoiled as well, you know, yeah, and we've got a big range on the menu. If you order the really expensive stuff, the expensive wine, you know, yeah. you, you kind know, of get a little bit spoiled. But look, I think it's, people like people like, to, like to be known. It's the same, same as, analogy as me when I go out. Yeah, it is recognized, right? Yeah, like, so when your ball's deep in the hospitality industry, you don't get to enjoy it enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's only 52 weekends in the year and 30 are gone, 10 you don't want to do anything, and then there's only about eight left over. Yeah. So, you know, when I go out, I like to, you know, people to, you know. I, I know the share for, you know, is so that little extra 5%, and that's what comes with being a regular. That's why you go back to the same place, and that's what one of my regulars said last week, we come yeah. because of you. Yeah. You know, and it is that, and then if I can be really consistent with my product, well, then... That's where then the personality comes into it, you know. They always know that my scotch fillet's good. Yeah. So then it's all, all the smiles and, you know, all the joy that goes with the rest of the restaurant and my staff and the standard and the people.
1: Beautiful. Oh man, it's real. We only have uh, fourteen or fifteen minutes left before your hard start. I, I kind of got distracted. It, it, it's crazy because when you <laughs> say
0: it's going to be an eighty-minute interview, it's like, what am I going to talk about? Yeah, right. It you goes by shut me up. Fast, man.
1: It goes like real fast. Uh, so before we move to the speed round, uh, anything you we haven't covered uh, that you're hoping that we we got some time to, to go over before we just kind of
0: crush that speed round no i know it's like you know this is a bit of a, a career journey and you know yeah. certainly it's not over yet you climb to certain heights and then more doors open and more doors open and usually you, you don't really know you know when you're driving somewhere where you're going but you could be right there right around the corner you've got to keep pushing yeah you know I'm, I'm in this situation right now dream big dream big and you know it Got it. It doesn't it, happen
1: overnight either. You started No, in you wanted to. You yeah. wanted to, but I've got to wait a long time for somebody to come yeah. in and, and hand yeah. the golden
0: ticket through the front door, but it didn't happen, you know? Yeah. So, you know, now it's about going out there and building, you know, a worldwide international reputation yeah. with, you know, my knowledge and experience yeah. and the high end wagyu that I'm privileged to have access to here in Australia. Yeah,
1: beautiful. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors so we can wrap this thing up before 4.30 when Chef said he had a uh, hard stop. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. (laughs) Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks. That stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of and you can get back to work doing what you love, running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com or call one eight. 668300691. Zero, zero, Mention restaurant unstoppable and receive 10% off your first three months. And say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with Sorcery AP Automation. To be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time. It happens, right? Uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where cabbage can help cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, but twice check out cabbage at cabbage with a K.com slash restaurant unstoppable. And you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage K a B B a G e.com slash restaurant Unstoppable line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC. All right, we're back chef. The first question I have for you is what's easier. It's fact, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success?
0: Drive, passion and drive. You know, if you didn't get up every day and just try hardest and try better and try better and try better, you know, that's got to be the mantra. It's hard work will get you somewhere in the end.
1: I'm really curious, and it's it's it's, it's kind of funny that uh, you say passion because I was actually asked to speak about passion the other day when I was over at Tipsy, and they was like, oh, just he just like two minutes before like this meeting, he's like, oh, Eric, before we start the meeting, can you talk about passion? And uh, I'm curious, what is passion?
0: I actually read a quote because I, I know Daniel Human at 11 Madison yeah. Park, and yeah. you know when they got number one last year. And you know, look, I, I met Daniel. You know when they they were first nominated on that list. So to see them them grow, grow to get to world's number one, and he said, you know, passion translates in Latin or something like, you know, to. To a, a messed up kind of unorganized you know drive of creativity to yeah. you know and so you've got to work out what your passion is and that word's you know a very broad word that
1: it is it, and it, it's it coming around a lot but like what what is it in your opinion like what is passion
0: uh, I think it's the joy you get from cooking and the mm-hmm. joy you get from seeing other people eat your food mm-hmm. uh, and, not to downgrade the, the wine side of things but you know we had a lot of wine at the restaurant you know we screw the lid off and pour it into a glass you know I get raw ingredients at the back door every day and create magic you mm. know and then to see that happen on you know return clientele or new clients or oh wow you know and to see the smile across the dining room or even to cook for my little girls at home it's that that that
1: smile. I, have th- I have a little bit of a theory that I've conjured up, and I think it's just uh, we all are looking to self-actualize, to find our purpose in life. And we all are – we are tri- tribal in nature. Humans are part of – we're tribal species. We need each other. We, 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 we could only survive in a tribe. And as we're coming up within that tribe, we needed to feed – we needed to, to, to serve a purpose to that tribe, to, 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 uh, to be – of value to that tribe. So the tribe was better off, right? So we could like somehow contribute to the tribe. And we all are looking for acknowledgment, I feel like, uh, or appreciation of being good at something. So we know that we're contributing to the tribe. All right. All right. And when you when you get that that's that that satisfaction when someone's satisfied from what, something that you've done, something that you've created, when they acknowledge you for that, and we get acknowledged through through that happiness, through the smile, is that do you think that has anything to do with it? Yeah. I've, I,
0: over the years, I have seen that some people can drive a fast car, some people can play the guitar. I can cook. That's yeah. my gig. Yeah. You know, so if I'm ever going to make a lot of money or success or whatever, then this is my gig. This is what I do. This is what I cook, and now I'm super creative at it, and you know, working out what your niche is and yeah. work it out. It takes you a long time as a kid, you know, to work out that, or you know, I mean, some people find it a little bit. Is there any number on when you should find it? When you feel like you're ready to go, or no? Like I mean, that's just life. That's just the roller coaster of you know the journey that we're on. I love
1: it. I love it so much for a friggin' speed round, huh? Uh, <laughs> Next question. <laughs> yeah. What is your biggest weakness?
0: Okay, I wrote down a little note about this. I'm silly people and people that don't try their best. Mm. You know, I mean, look, it, 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 it's not rocket science what we do. You know, it, it's its about creating that standard, obviously, and being passionate about it and producing the product at the highest level. But, you know, if you come to work and you don't try your best, you know, you're letting down the whole team, mm. you know, it, and it can only take one member in a team of 10 or a team of 40 for a bad experience to be happening, you yeah. know. If we're all trying so hard and you come to work and don't put in your effort, you know, and then they say, you know, there's no such thing as stupid questions. Yes, there is. I get asked them <laughs> every day. You know, but look, that's the challenging thing, you know, yeah. and you kind of – when you are surrounded by professionals and you, you throw in that not-so-smart one and I kind of sometimes a little
1: bit too short in the middle so of service. it's like patience? Is it yeah, patience yeah,
0: yeah. I've got, I had to grow, I grow a lot with patience, you know, yeah. and then I think oh, – I realized a while ago that everyone I'm going to hire now is going to be younger than me. Mm-hmm. Everyone is going to be more and more impulsive yeah. and ready for success and yeah. want to be paid twice as much as me for half the job that I can do. <laughs> so I, I've got to be eyes wide open to that. I yeah. can't go in and continue to scream and shout about the young gen Why is it going to mentor them probably? Yeah,
1: yeah right. So uh, the next question is, what is one question you ask or thing you look for uh, during the interview process?
0: excitement you know you
1: want to come and work
0: for me so it's not my job to impress you I've done my job over the last 25 (laughs) years now if you want to come and work for me you show me your energy you show me you know and I say that, that do you park your car straight in the car park are you organized are you ready are you going to give me 120 percent? i love it beautiful some
1: people freak out with that and they leave (laughs) well then you're not the right person right filter them out soon right uh what's a current challenge today what is your biggest challenge today
0: I'm about to go on a world tour in six days. So, okay. four different countries, 11 different dinners, Australian produce, showcasing what I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a big challenge. So,
1: uh, <laughs> what scares you about that? Or what, why are you concerned about that?
0: Um, well, when you step into a foreign kitchen with, you know, foreign chefs that you don't know, and, you know, you've got to roll it all out and at the highest level, five star, you're passionate, you're creative, you don't want things to go wrong, you know? Yeah. So, you've got, I've put a little, six months of planning in yeah. now for this next four weeks to go well to yeah. be able to showcase the privileged stuff that i have access to in australia and the story of the clean green sustainable side of australia is so amazing you know Mm. i know look at customs control are very hard to get things in but it's also so hard to get things out so for me to be able to go and showcase to the rest of the world you know the products that i use i have and yeah it's look i think it's a really special opportunity for, for me for my restaurant for my partners for the growth of where we're all at
1: So what about uh, leaving your your team for uh, four weeks? Do you have any concerns there?
0: No, because I did it last year for the first time. And, you know, my sous chef's been here. my Chef de cuisine's been here since the day we opened. My my pastry chef, the same. He actually went and did a two-month internship at Gagan last year. So the boys are very invested in me in the restaurant. And, you know, last year I said, you know, I'm going away for three weeks. Fire blankets on the wall The number's triple O You'll work it out Yeah If there's any problems Don't call me And it went like silk So I'm expecting that To happen again Great
1: So share one code Of conduct or behavior You teach your team This is a way to be A way to behave A value
0: Don't lie If any point in the middle of service or something and I say, you know, and you look at me and you completely lie to my face, well, then you're only letting us down, the team down, the guests down, there's paying your money, paying your wages. So, you know, you can't work in silence. If you work in silence, you're not working with the rest of the team. We don't know what's going on in your mind. So if you want to work in silence, you don't want to tell the truth, That it's not going to work. You know, especially in the heat of the battle when there's only four or five of you on the line. You're going to have everybody's back. Chef,
1: yes. This is great <laughs> stuff, man. I'm loving it. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So it's common within your restaurant, but not common within the industry. Um, it's a tough one.
0: Yeah, it is. Because you know I try to run a standard where – we've got it set we've got it you know and we print it out we give it to all the staff and but it's just enforcing that standard you know it's like getting getting people to come in and have the show the passion that i do for my business yeah. and you know especially you when you're younger and you're at uni and you got other focuses is not really your career i was that guy so crazy in there every day because it's my life it's my family it's my future so, so yeah
1: you take it super seriously like is there anything uh, as far as like uh, the way you treat your, your uh, guests or uh, the way you serve your guests, the things that you do in this restaurant, that, uh, the, the attention to detail that is standard, is a standard service that you do that other restaurants don't do?
0: Oh, look, I, we're, I think we're one of the only restaurants in Melbourne that do our super state board and have a standard of, you know, look, we, we need to showcase the best produce that we have on every night. And then, you know, the training program of our junior staff to come in to know that standard, to know the spiel. And it can be very repetitive mm-hmm. to say the same thing and do the same thing. But again, that's the consistency of yeah. it. and So just it, the education. Yeah, the education yeah. Stuff. And it, if if... You send your two mates in, and you've talked the restaurant up, and this is our spiel, and this is what we've got, and then it's all different, and you mm-hmm. don't see that, and mm-hmm. but I, I, that wasn't the same last time. That's really, really important. Mm, beautiful.
1: Okay, uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner?
0: Oh, I don't read The cookbooks are my only <laughs> the only gig. You know, I'm all about I'm all about movies, but like you know, watching the TV lately, I, I've got this you know a, a sort of a focus on. Asia and the size of China and you know opening up my mind to different shows and different things you know like I mean life's about education and I think I went through a period where ah oh, I'm young I know what I'm doing you know, yeah. and and you, and you sort of stop maybe learning a little bit yeah. and then you grow up and get a little bit older and yeah. you know, obviously now I got young girls and you know you, you looked up up to so you re-educating yourself and learning more and learning more and there's just so much out there you yeah. know as soon as you put your bubble on yourself
1: well then you putting a blindfold yeah. on really so what are some, some res- sorry do you want to finish your thought no, no no okay what are some resources that you're using to educate yourself then um. I mean, it could be online it could be a show online a television show or anything
0: Oh, you know, look, I pay TV at home and I I go through everything. You know, I I don't know why, but like recently I've been watching the Al Jazeera news and just making sure I know what's on the other sides of the world and what's happening and keeping on the pulse of everything. And, you know, with with the produce that I use here too, we're really big push on this sustainable side of things and we're looking at beef with, you know, seaweed and, Mm -hmm. you know, soldier flies and sustainable food waste and other things like that because I think 25% of the population at the moment care about sustainability oh, yeah. and eco and all that and it's growing, but yeah. that's 25 we'll get to 75 we'll get to the point yeah, where 100% of us have yeah. to worry about it because there won't be anything
1: left exactly
0: so yeah. that needs to start or should have started long long time ago you know there's some, a few people on earth that are pushing it but probably not hard enough
1: <laughs> what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant and how has it influenced your operations
0: Oh, there's several different things. You know, I mean, in the kitchen, there's small little things like you know, I mean, how we sous vide food now, and how the consistency of that product can come out. You know, from the you know our nine thousand dollar Packo Jet ice cream machine to churn ice creams and sorbets to water. Mm. You know, them certain things lift the quality of the food that we do. Um, and do you make the ice cream base different to mine or no, not really, but it 's then the equipment and the technology that we have in the kitchens these days and same thing too out the front with the reservation system and building that return clientele and knowing people 's you know dishes and you know all the things that we can have on the computer about what they order and what they you know continuously trying to repeat and build that catalog of you know our, of our return clientele because I learned when I was younger that if every single person that walked in our front door was a brand-new client, you wouldn't survive. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to know the faces, know the people, and look, the technology that you use every day in the restaurant becomes a crucial part of Do
1: you know specifically what you're using, what technology you're using that I can we share? We actually had
0: a system that was uh, started uh, – uh, uh, some young guys come in and started their own little restaurant, so we were a bit of a guinea pig with them at yeah. the start. But that was good because every time we had a problem, they had to iron out the problem, and we all worked it out together. Okay, so was it was that? A bit, Are they still using them? Or? Yeah, it was a bit of a uh, – called epos something epos epos or so i don't actually know the name of it <laughs> that's
1: all right i we'll, know we'll th- we'll how to push in the it. buttons
0: and yeah. how to program the prices <laughs> and
1: we'll throw it on the show notes uh, all right so this is the last question, of doozy you ready for it if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the, exce- with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you can leave behind for the good of humanity, the restaurant industry, and your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be that you know to be true?
0: Work hard. That's one. Yeah, it's not going to be given to you. <laughs> You've got to get out of there and work hard, yeah? stay focused it's very hard it's very easy to run off the track and you think you're going down the right yeah. path and you're not you know and that's about surrounding yourself with the right people so staying focused and then my biggest one which I tell the boys in the kitchen every day is that forward planning is the key no matter what happens it just if you're impulsive 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 all the time it's never going to come out right yeah. it's about having that forward plan about knowing your structure yeah. and sticking to that structure sometimes no matter how hard it seems to be if you know your structure is right, you have to stick to it. And that forward planning is definitely the key. Yeah.
1: I love to say uh, be proactive, not reactive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've got a couple of them in my life, <laughs> I tell you what. <laughs> Chef, this has been an, uh, a really great conversation. I love your energy. Awesome, I love awesome. your passion, your enthusiasm. Uh, really, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, uh, somebody you admire, in this, excuse me, in this industry that you believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today?
0: Uh, look, I'm very close with a chef and a friend of mine called Scott Pickett who uh, has four restaurants, soon to open his fifth here in Melbourne. Um, we met in London 17 years ago, and, and I was his, his executive sous chef for 12 months at the point um, at, where they had the Formula One Grand Prix here in Melbourne last week. Um, and, and look, Scott is a, a big mentor of mine, as in, you know, we both party when I was younger, then we were both grown up and kids, and yeah, we've sort of ridden the roller coaster yeah. for a little while there. But yeah, look, I mean, his style of food, you know, is obviously a big influence on, yeah. on mine and where I've gone, and yeah, like he's doing extremely well with worldwide reputation and stuff now and, yeah i like to call him out he's got a lot to say so beautiful known as the digger so
1: <laughs> chef scott pickett look out, i'm coming after you and let the folks at home know uh, how we can connect with you or how we can follow you and your work and uh, maybe we're interested in some of this wagyu beef you keep on talking about uh, what's the best way to learn about that
0: Uh, Well, My main supplier, which I'm now a world brand ambassador for, is Sher Wagyu. So they're at a Balan here in Victoria. So they export to over 18 different countries, uh, you know, into China, the Middle East, and the restaurant in New York. They supply the Tomahawk too. So, yeah, look, that's certainly one of the biggest and and the closest relationship, best brands that I have that you could follow. But I have my own website. It's www.chefchriswade.com. Um, and then with this uh, building the brand, the Steak Maestro now, everything sort of hashtag Steak Maestro on my Instagram page is getting it all out there to show you the some of the seafood and some of the other things that we do at the restaurant. But look, the high-end Wagyu. We're privileged to have access to, you know, from Cher from Wagyu and, and uh, David Blackmore's Wagyu, my Euro station. There's just so much amazing stuff that, you know, we have here in Australia. And, look, I'm going to go out and showcase to the rest of the world yeah. in a week's time. So,
1: yeah. Well, I'm excited for you, Chef. And this is uh, – just head over to com slash Chris. Wade and I'll have uh, the links to uh, your websites and how to connect with you. Uh, the, the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all be there in the show notes. Chef Chris Wade, it is four thirty-two, two minutes past our agreed upon time. I apologize, but I'm so uh, so happy I, I made the the train ride out here to uh, experience your restaurant and your story. And uh, uh, I'm just grateful for uh, being able to share it with my audience. You you are unstoppable. That's for sure. Excellent, excellent. Let's go. World domination. (laughs) Cheers. Well, there's another great episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I think uh, there's some pretty clear lessons in today's conversation with Chef Chris Wade. And obviously, get out there. Uh, Get experience go work for the best go surround yourself with the best you will become the best go figure out what your passion is Go figure out what your niche is Uh, and the only way to do that is by getting the experience Uh, And give at least 12 months while you're out there getting the experience because you don't want to create a reputation for yourself uh, That you're just you know gonna jump around you want to you know Give back to those who are giving you these skills and this knowledge and then I think the other big big lesson the big takeaway from today's conversation is just the, the the significance of having your principles, having those those values, having those those standards, and then the discipline to stick to those standards day in, day out, consistently. Easy in concept, very hard to accomplish that, to 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 do that consistently, to to have the discipline to show up. To those standards, those high standards you set for yourself every day. But if you have those disciplines and you, you put the systems and processes in place to be able to show up with those same expectations every day to meet those standards, man, you can become unstoppable. Great stuff today. Again, thank you, Chef Chris Wade. Guys, It's eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Shoot me an email. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what I can do to best serve you. I'm here to go to work, but you have to put me to work. And then uh, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. I'm going back on the road. uh, Not entirely sure when I will uh, set sail. Uh, Hopefully late spring. I want to head west. Maybe start in Washington. Work my way down through Oregon and in California, uh, but I need some crash pads. So if you love the show, you want to support the show, and you have a spot I can set up an air mattress on your floor, even a even a, a driveway, I can park my car and sleep in my car. Shoot me an email, Eric, at Restaurant, Unstoppable. Uh, let me or help me come to your city. And then, uh, lastly, guys, if you are finding value in these episodes, if you're learning things you didn't know before if you're getting inspired to show up a better version of yourself than you were the day before and you want more content like this uh share this resource Uh, the best way to support what i'm doing and to ensure that i keep on showing up for you is if you show up for me and you spread the word about restaurant unstoppable that's the best compliment you can give is just simply sharing the sucker all right guys that's all for today Thank you so much for sticking around this long. I would not be able to do it without you guys. I want you to know that. And until next time, peace out.